Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large Podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. I'm very excited today to have a very interesting discussion and I will be, I will toot my own horn for just a second. I hope you'll indulge me. Uh, I've been in this industry for quite a while. I've, I've met as many people as I, as I possibly can. I've, I've been kind of a contact hoarder. I keep everybody's contact in my phone. I mean, my, 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 uh, my contact book is literally overflowing with contacts. And if the, if and when the, the shit hits the fan, I usually have a, a handful of really solid clients that I can call and like, hey, man, you know, I'm, I'm in a bad spot. If you have anything for me and I, I've, I haven't had to do that too much. I've been pretty fortunate to be busy and I've, I've been able to put a little bit away for rainy days. I, I wasn't preparing for this long, even in the midst of a pandemic. I, I have been fortunate enough to have the tools necessary to reach out and I, I have the reputation uh, to being sl- uh, to be slightly well known there's still many people that I look up to and there's other people that I think are you know miles ahead of me but at least when I stop right now I can look back and I'm like man I've, I've been in this industry for a long time I've done a lot of cool things and now I'm done tooting my own horn urn. but that's kind of made me think about some of the people that are not in such a fortunate position or they just haven't been going down the path as long as some of the people who've been on my podcast, you know, ahead of me or along the path with me. So I, I reached out to somebody who I think would be, who's been very willing to kind of open up and kind of like share his experience with me today. He is uh, something I was, I was following him for a short amount of time and I, his, his rise in the industry was just meteoric. He was, I mean, a lot of people were saying really nice things. Very, He's very creative, very ingenuitive. We basically closed our industry on him. <laughs> uh, you know, no fault of our own, but uh, he was climbing the steps and climbing up the ladder rung by rung, and then we just yanked the ladder out from him. And uh, so now I'm going to kind of open up those, those bleeding sores and kind of talk to him today and see how, see how he's doing and how he's faring. I hope you guys welcome Luis Garcia with me. He is a lighting and media designer out of Florida. I hope I wasn't too too tough there in the introduction. No, it's okay. You just brought some trauma. That's <laughs> just brought some flashbacks. Thank you so much for sharing your trauma with me and my audience today. I really appreciate it. We, we're all kind of wallowing in, in the mud these days. So we, uh, misery loves company. So uh, thank you so much for being in our company. Thank you for inviting me, Chris. I'm super, super grateful to be a part of this and excited to kind of just talk about the industry. All right. So I'm going to be fully transparent here. A while ago, your name popped up in the 30 under 30 and uh, my bosses reached out. I'm like, hey, man, they said that guy's somebody you should follow. I'm like, OK, let's see what's going on. And so I've been I was checking out your website and, you know, I mean, a lot of the stuff, the photos are gorgeous, you know, and then by the time I was able to like come up with a good reason to reach out to you, our industry was closed. I'm like, what am I going to, what am I going to do? What am I going to call and say this guy? Like, Hey, we really fucked that up for you. Didn't we? <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, it's, it's funny. You mentioned that because I still remember that day. So, so my website has like a contact page where people can actually message directly to me from, from my website rather than just writing an email, it like automatically sends an email to me uh, with a mm-hmm. message. And I remember when I got a notification from you, I, I got an email and I was like, I was like, Chris, Chris, I was like, I don't know who this individual is, but you complimented my work and you hope that we can work one day. And then I kid you not, the first thing I said was, 
is this another spam message? Because I <laughs> always get spam from those from that message board. Yeah. And yeah. I remember it took me a couple of days and then I finally followed up with you and then you actually responded. And I was like, oh, this guy's real. Okay, cool. Oh, and yeah. Then I, <laughs> and then I looked you up and I was like, oh, this guy is working on a podcast that like has has a couple of my friends I've been a part of it you know Christina Watanabe and Alan C. Edward and uh, and then you messaged me a couple of weeks ago asking if you would interview me interview me and I was yeah. like oh this is awesome heck yeah yeah I, I would imagine something like that would be just short of like getting an email from a prince from Nairobi telling you that you know, <laughs> got fifty thousand dollars from one of your lost relatives that all you need to do is send uh, send your bank account information and and it's either that one it's either that one or the, Hey, we see that your security is bad on your website. We can help it make it better. Please email at like random numbers at not even Gmail or Yahoo. It's like some weird, like, yeah, like, I don't even know, but yeah, they just like, I don't know. They they're, they're running out of ideas on how to be creative now on, on the spam industry. And yeah, I'm so thankful for Gmail. The, the filters Dang. are getting so much better now. I, I don't know how people still deal with the old AOLs or the, the Yahoo accounts because those were just useless. They yeah. became <laughs> useless. So that's actually something that I kind of want to have a little discussion about today because I still work with people in the industry with AOL email addresses. I still They still have... I still have blackberries and and palm pilots and stuff like that. And I'm wondering how they're pivoting or transferring are are they experiencing this transformation the same as the younger and and I believe that you qualify as a millennial. How is it for, as a millennial to transfer from the business being booming and phone calls pouring in every day to just nothing? What what do you how are you responding? Um, I'm going to be real, Chris. At first, it was really rough. Uh, so I actually was working for the Oregon Shakespeare Festival for three seasons for the pandemic hit. Um, I was their video technician and programmer. And I was basically responsible with hanging, focusing and programming three different video systems in three completely different theater spaces. So it was awesome. You know, I got right out of college, immediately went into like their fellowship, immediately got hired the year after to, to be their video tech. And yeah, I was loving the experience, was meeting great designers for both, both lighting and video design. And March hit and Oregon was the first state to shut down. Um, oh, I remember that. They, yeah, yeah Oregon, Oregon was and the Washington very first one. Yeah. Yep. Because it started there. It started yeah. in that area. Um, so they shut us down. They shut the whole s the state down. And um, yeah, we all got a notification. Well, when they shut down, you know, they OSF was very like very nice and, and was helpful. And they definitely spent the next couple of weeks trying to help us out. But then there was a certain point where they they basically had to furlough everyone. And um, yeah, I got furloughed late March. And from March until June, I had no clue what I was doing. Um, I was living in unemployment. You know, there was no theater. I had no clue if I wanted to continue doing the industry in entertainment. And I was fortunate enough and I was contacted by a good friend of mine, Shannon R. Davis, who works at theater theater bay area which is like this nonprofit organization in san francisco and she and i know each other because um my first year at osf she was the assistant director for both othello and manahatta which were shows that i was assisting in as the the video tech for so i sat in in the tech rehearsal and i got to talk to her and um you know we became good friends and when when covid hit she contacted me in, in late, mid, late May, uh, telling me about a virtual project that she's working on for her company. Um, she was doing, they usually have annual galas where they raise money for their organization. And obviously because of COVID, they weren't able to do an in-person one. So they ended up doing a virtual one that occurred in June and no one in her team 
has ever done a live stream before. Um, so she contacted me because of my experience in doing some small live stream productions that I did at OSF. And when I was in high school, I streamed video games just for me, just playing like my Xbox and stuff. So I had some minimal experience. So she contacted me asking if I uh, would be interested. And I picked it up. I ended up being the technical director and the video designer for that project. And I ran the live stream itself and it was fun. It was a different experience for me. It was stressful for sure because it was new territory, but I took it day by day. I was fortunate enough and I uh, became good friends with an actual professional live streamer known as uh, Tasi. And um, he basically told me the ins and outs of how to live stream, what programs to download, what content, what, what equipment to buy and um, yeah, it was, it was a great program. We raised a lot of money for the organization. And from there, um, business just started booming for me. Um, I guess a lot of theater companies started seeing my work and then they wanted to do more virtual work with me and just kind of went from there. Right on. That is a lot to unpack. That is a great success story. <laughs> so I want to start off with the first thing that popped into my mind there is that Normally in our industry, what you just did would be frowned upon. You know, basically you are, you come from a lighting and, and media background. You basically you, that, that role that you just fulfilled should have been filled by a specialist in that, in that field. But you know, during the pandemic times, all bets are off that you, yeah. you had an offer and you took it and you're like, well, I don't, I have the skills necessary. I'm going to take it. You know, that's what we, that's, that's exactly the sort of pivot. We have to like break any old traditions and go like, yeah, normally that would be filled by three people. You're like, no, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to fill all those hats. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was, I think that was also um, an alarming thing for me as well. Uh, because, you know, when I was at OSF as part of the, the union, the IATSE union there, I was part of local 154 and they were super supportive about this idea where, you know, my job was being the video technician and programmer. If I was asked to do lighting work, I had to consult with the local and the local had to make an agreement with the theater to make sure that, you know, I wasn't picking up more positions that were in my contract, you know? So it going from that, to mm -hmm. to then being like oh here's every position now um that is being offered to me and i'm picking it up because we're in a pandemic and there's no work is 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 a whole different ball game but that being said um just like you know we're talking right now i was just very transparent with them throughout the whole process and whenever there was a moment where i felt like i was either being overwhelmed or if i'm giving more work that i than than what i was originally told I was going to do, I was fully transparent with them. Um, I worked with good friends and um, every company that I've worked with, I always lay that down where, you know, I, I will be honest with them. And if I feel like I'm going, I'm doing more work than I should be doing, I'll let them know. And then that's when we go back to the, the, the discussion table and figuring out the, should I be paid more or should work be just taken away from me and given someone else? So um, I guess I just became my own union. Yeah, that deserves man, full man respect. That, that deserves full respect. That's exactly what we need to be doing. We can't rely on past traditions or old norms and go, yeah, I mean, you, you don't, you don't have time to ask permission for these things. You're like, you got an offer, you got to take it. And you know, by the way, I have to buy some gear and I got to learn some skills because I'm pretty good at doing these things, but I'm about to be a professional in Two weeks. Yeah. So that brings me to the next thing that came to mind. As a millennial, you are in a better place to be able to transition than I was in the fact that you grew up with video games or never not. I mean, you basically never knew life without them or uh, even smartphones. You were born in the mid 90s. 95. So you would have. Yeah. Like, I think I got my first pager in 96. So I don't, I, I'm, I'm assuming you're just young enough to have never had a pager. Um, I actually, my, my family never owned a pager. 
So okay. I don't, I've never personally worked with one, but I've seen them. So I know <laughs> they exist. That's for sure. I've seen okay. Stranger Things. I've seen, I've seen all these okay. classic, classic when I mean class, <laughs> but yeah. I, I, <laughs> saw in history class. Yeah. I saw those. Yeah. How old were you when you had your first smartphone? Oof. I was a freshman in high school when I got okay. my first cell phone. So I was, oof, I believe I was 13 when I had my first. And it was like a Nokia, one of those Nokia bricks. Okay. Right on. Yeah. So you've never known a disconnected life, basically. It's always, you've always been able to add, reach out to your friends without knowing their phone number. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. I always had to save their, their, the only numbers till, till now that I know, like off the top of my head is my parents, my sister, my brother, and my girlfriends, anyone else's. I'm just like, well, go into the address book now on my phone, look at my contacts. Yeah. And even then you wouldn't actually seek to memorize the number. You would just hit the button. Exactly. Okay. So you were streaming video games when you were, how old were you? Oof, I just did it for fun when I was like 14 or 15, just for like one or two, one or two weeks, just for fun. Okay. And I'm assuming it was like an online gaming thing where you could sit and talk and stream your video game at the same time. Yeah. The, for a, most of it, it was just me quiet and me just streaming my video. And then I realized, oh, I can actually talk in these. So I ended up randomly talking every so often. <laughs> um but then I realized I was like, oh, yeah, a lot of people I, I, I was a huge fan of Halo growing up as a kid. So, um, yeah, I would play online with people. And then I just realized that, like, first of all, my Internet at home was terrible growing up, um, mainly because, you know, it was just Internet. It was just not great. And then second of all, I just it was just weird being able to, like, just record myself i guess i don't know i just was like a thing for me i was like i'm not an actor i can't really perform like i can't keep up with the energy <laughs> and stuff so i just was like okay cool i did it i'm done <laughs> all right so here's how i'm tying this all in back together to the to the podcast as a father i am just clever enough now to actually encourage my children to do that to learn video games and learn how to stream Whereas when I was growing up, that was the scariest thing that my parents had to deal with. Like the idea of talking to strangers on the internet and like letting them know what you're up to at that time was the scariest thing. It was not encouraged. Now you were doing that, not even realizing that you were training, preparing for future employment. That's amazing yeah. to me. Yeah, I think I think like you said, everything is changing right now, and not just in the industry and in the world in regards to technology. And I think it's great to hear stories of parents actually supporting kids in in being able to play video games and also stream and such. Because, like you said, I also grew up in a house where my parents it took a lot of convincing for them to to get my first console as a kid. So um, once I did, I realized that like being in an online game world, it's at the end of the day, it's crazy. You make a lot of friends um, because you kind of meet up with people that, you know, obviously are the playing a game that you like. It's just then when you realize that you're hitting it off with individuals that actually get you it, it's a, it's, it's a great community building experience, but then also it's as long as your parents are supportive and, and careful and ensuring that you are in those safe communities and such. Um, that's the important thing is that balance of, of the growth and also the, the responsibility of ensuring the safety of your kid. Um, Absolutely. Which, yeah. But now here we are, we're even, it's not just children, but actual adults professional adults are having to interact through their keyboard, through zoom, through, you know, any sort of messaging boards. And we're finding that a lot of people were not, they, they didn't train for that. They don't know how to do it. The next thing you know, they, they've got a kitten filter at their hearing and they don't know what to do. They're like, I, I'm not a cat, you know, they're I'm not a cat, <laughs> not a cat judge. And they have no clue and they have to call, 
they're they're teenagers in they're like hey how do i become not a cat yeah you know there's there's so much skill and training necessary to interact through this medium that we're not designed for and you you just have a huge leg up you know yeah yeah like i think you're right it's it's such a crazy place that we're at right now in the industry in regards to virtual productions and such i think it all just stemmed down to me growing up and being very interested in stem and this idea of technology um in in middle school and high school as part of a program called technology students association tsa and we basically did competitions around technology, the idea of, of renovating and, in, and pushing the boundaries on not just technology, but also the mind and with science, edu- like education and, um, you know, machinery and such. So that really was what inspired me to kind of pursue this idea of learning what's new in, in technology uh, in the world. So uh, I would clearly you're not in Florida anymore. Did you have to go to San Francisco first, or did you do the whole? Like, fill me in on how you produced this your first virtual event. Yeah, so I was in Ashland. So I was living in Ashland um, uh, during that time, and the team was in San Francisco, and. It was funny. So there was three locations. I was in Ashland. The company was in uh, San Francisco and our stage manager and producer was in San Diego. So we had three different locations where this whole team was at. And the way it basically started up was we talked about the, the key factors was where are we streaming it? How long is it going to be? And what parts will be live and what parts will be pre-recorded? Or the big question, will it be pre-recorded or will it be live? So once we came to the decision of it being half pre-recorded and half live, then uh, we followed up with, okay, how do we all communicate with one another? So then we came up with using uh, Discord, which is like a, like a, a, a server-based program where we can communicate with one another. And then um, I had to do research on what program I would use to live stream. So I ended up going through a lot of forums. Um, and then I came to the decision of using a program called Mimo Live, which was a Mac-based program. I basically had to learn everything. Luckily, I had some experience with it because OSF uses it for their small events, but I wasn't really knowledgeable in it. So I had to go through a lot of YouTube tutorials. I had to basically go in the program myself and learn things about it and yeah, we had a full week worth of tech just to make sure everything was working. The great thing about Mimo Live is it has a built-in video call system. So I just sent a link out to our host so that he would directly call in through Mimo Live rather than like using Zoom and then like cropping his video into the live stream. And like that was just learning all of that was just like the foundation. Like I, once I learned there was more to live streaming than just that, my mind was blown. I like went through rabbit holes after rabbit holes after rabbit holes. And now I'm like doing some virtual events that I'm not even using Mimo Live anymore. Like I'm I've now using programs like OBS and Vmix. And I actually had to end up building my own PC right here um, to like handle all of this now. So yeah, it, it was a crazy journey. And I'm glad to know that my first production, I wasn't alone with it. We were all learning together and that made me feel much more secured uh, because if we, someone was making a mistake, we all talked about it and, and learned like, okay, now we know for next time, this is what you should and shouldn't do. So we were essentially building our own like backstage handbook for virtual productions, really. This sounds like it's one step short of the matrix where you can just download information into your brain and next thing you know, how to fly a helicopter. Yeah. Only you the helicopter. Basically learned a new profession in two weeks. Yep. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, I was also editing videos. Yeah. I was, I was basically responsible for the live streaming, the video editing, and then going to weekly meetings with them, checking in and making sure that everything was like, we were all on the same page and such. Then you did a live streamed event in digital space slash San Francisco from your apartment in Ashland, Oregon. Yep. My setup. Oh man, I can send you a photo of it. 
I had my whole kitchen table <laughs> covered <laughs> in cables. I had three monitors. Um, I had, I only owned one monitor. I had to borrow two monitors from OSF because uh, I was still good friends with the supervisor at the time. So he let me borrow a monitor for a day. Um, and then I had my computer, I had my MacBook that I had to buy. I had to buy a new MacBook because the one I owned previously could not handle even a fourth of the power that was needed for this live stream. And all of this was hardwired to my network. And um, yeah, it was very nerve wracking. It, I kid you not. I was like, we were all on where we were talking through like this discord app and we were all talking with one another. And like, I would be like, what's going on? Is it working? Like, okay. Um, what do I got to prep myself for this next segment? Okay. And then everything was working great. And then the, I lost my internet twice during my stream, during the live event, which even added even more stress. It worked out. It was great. And I'm, we were all pretty proud about the product we made. Man, congratulations. That is a, that's a huge success. Dropping internet twice, that's totally understandable. I think a lot of us are becoming more uh, willing to accept that that's just fact of life now. We're just, that yeah. just exists. That is. I'm sure Luis is there. He's just probably cut out for a little bit. <laughs> You know? Yeah, I kid you. Oh man, I remember getting the flash flood of flash flash flood of messages from the team being like, "We're gone. It's out. It's out. We ate, like we need to fix this ASAP." And I'm here, like in my in like in our in our house, like just moving cables around, re, like turning on and off the internet router, like just praying that something would work again. And then as soon as I get a notification that I'm like ready to go on air, I just hit the online. And we told our host being like, all right, be on standby to go be prepared and stuff. Luckily, the internet only dropped during the pre-show and the, right as the credits started. Wow. Yeah. Right on. Super lucky. And I was, I was really worried because we had sp like some major guests that like uh, were appearing in the, in the presentation. Like we had, um, I kid you not, we had speaker Nancy Pelosi as one of our special guests. And like, I was terrified that her segment was going to drop. I was like, oh man, if something happens with her segment, I'm done. Like, okay, here we go. But everything worked out, man. It was, it was a great experience. And that was literally just the, the foundation for me to understand live streaming. And then here I am now just like picking up gigs, at, gig after gig after gig now, just super blessed and fortunate. Man, I, I don't foresee this going away. I think we can all agree, everybody listening and you and I together, we can all agree that live, in-person, handshake, person-to-person -person events are so much better, way better. But when that's not available, this is, this is going to become a new norm. Yeah, it's, it's super unfortunate, but it's also a it's a curse and a blessing because now I read an interesting article and I don't remember who made it, but having virtual productions has opened up such a major, not just revenue, but a new source of audience members that theater and entertainment as a whole would have never reached out because now it's becoming more accessible and affordable to kind of do these yeah. virtual and attendees that yeah, I think once live theater is going to come back or live entertainment in general is going to come back, we're going to obviously have a huge influx of it, of audience members coming back. But I have a feeling that virtual productions are still going to stay because of that accessibility. I feel like for those individuals that want to see a production in, in San Francisco that are currently in Florida now have that opportunity to see productions across the country and not have to fly and, and pay for hotel and pay for, for flights and such it. Yeah. It's, it's opened up a whole different field now in regards to entertainment and the audience sector as a whole. Yeah. So one of the things I think is groundbreaking, I think this is going to change the industry and hopefully you kind of expand on this a little bit. But being able to watch a show that took place in Oregon, in Miami, that's not new. Like we can record it, we can send it over there, or we can broadcast it over television. You know, that's been happening for years now. But what is brand new is for be able to the actors or the performers to be getting feedback from Miami in real time. 
I don't see that going away anytime soon because now up until 2020, the performers were limited to the feedback from the audience, meaning the clapping, the cheering, the just how many butts are in seats, and then looking out on the sea of empty or a sea of empty chairs or full chairs. Now we're not limited to the capacity of any venue. We're, we're unlimited now. Like you can be watching a show in Ashland, Oregon from Singapore and giving live feedback. You know, you could easily, easily just have like a thumbs up or a thumbs down as per, per joke. And like, yeah, Singapore loves that joke. And I think that, I think people like yourself are going to be, you're going to be having to sit there and monitor these and make sure that they go off without a hitch. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a different now it's a different lens now in regards to audience and performer interaction. Obviously when you're watching a theater piece or a, in any form of entertainment piece, you know, there's obviously the performers are doing something and the audience are reacting verbally, whether it's a laugh or a clap or, you know, sometimes booing in some cases and such, <laughs> you know, that translates very differently in, in a, in a virtual lens, because rather than you hearing these verbal responses, now it's all written. So like people now have the ability to write what they're thinking which is a whole different level of relationship between audience and, and actors and performers, because now people have the freedom to write whatever they want, you know, <laughs> whereas like in a theater in an in-person space, you can, you can verbally say something and, you know, obviously you'll be immediately, if you say something that's not appropriate, you'll immediately get, you know, reprimanded and such. Now with this internet now being a new medium, trolls obviously are going to be more apparent if there's something occurring that is not to what they believe in in their yeah. beliefs is is accurate so um yeah that's why beforehand whenever i work in virtual productions that are live you definitely have to go in with your whole team knowing that hey we need moderators in these productions so that we can be aware of commenting so if something does happen we can immediately take them down and such but yeah it's such a different form of interaction now that you just got to get used to now i guess is you know rather than hearing the cheering and the applauding now it's like you said a thumbs up down thumbs down or or a comment about how the event is going but i feel like that is a great way to in not invest but engage your audience in a production and i think that's what what makes now virtual production so intimate is the ability to now being able to live, I guess, quote unquote, live tweet or live comment the whole production and being able to actually express your thoughts of a piece. And then having people that are also watching being like, Oh my God, yes, I agree. Or like, I don't know. Let's like, it's, it's cool. It's such a different medium that, um, that can engage a, a larger audience to participate now and feel like a performer and presenter as well into the virtual piece. Yeah. One of the things you just brought up that I hadn't even considered is that in, in live events, we have security guards to make sure that nobody gets unruly or disruptive. Now on top of everything that you're doing, maintaining a live stream and you're going to have to become a security guard as well, or, you, or you're going to have to farm that off to somebody else. You're going to need another digital security guard of sorts to make sure that nobody disrupts the live stream. I mean, the last thing we need is while in, in the midst of a Nancy Pelosi speech online in the virtual space for somebody to come through and, you know, heckling the, the keynote speaker. Yeah. For that moment in particular for our stream, we were heavily eyeing all of the comments because we, it was coming right off of like these major mo like things that were happening in Congress and in the Senate as well. So we were just mentally preparing ourselves like, oh, something will probably happen. And luckily it was much smoother than we thought. You know, we had a comment here and there, but like you said, we all basically had to act like security guards. And as soon as we saw something, we immediately shut it down and uh, prevented it from the public to be, to see it, you know, so yeah right on 
So one of the things you brought up is that uh, you were a part of the union. And normally yeah. uh, a lot of unions are well known for, you know, having a, an internship or a, a journeyman sort of program or apprenticeship. And they, they kind of bring people up and then they, they get trained. But now I think we've kind of flipped the script a little bit in that the, the older people are the ones who need to be learning from the younger generation. Are you, are you seeing that that's kind of becoming the case? It's so, it's so funny you mentioned that because I haven't really been fully invested in IATSE as a giant umbrella of an organization. I was super fortunate and I was able to join IATSE 154, like local 154, because they are brand new. They just established June of 2016. And they established because of, you know, stuff that were occurring at OSF at Oregon Shakespeare Festival and a lot of the employees, you know, finally were like, you know, let's stand up and let's do something. So they unionized. So I started working for them in 2018. So I was able to actually, um, you know, apply through their process and stuff. And I local 154 is really mainly just Shakespeare Festival, like Oregon Shakespeare Festival employees. So okay. we, they mainly just focus on the, production tech side of osf so we have monthly meetings we pay dues but i never experienced the traditional iatsi process where i had to go through an interview and like go through paperwork and go through testing and stuff so i was fortunate to be kind of to able to join such a fresh organization and like you said you know a lot of these organizations that are are part of IATSE, other locals are much older and they've been there since the founding of IATSE. You know, they have a different mentality of how the union works. Whereas my local 154 is, it's brand new. So like we get to, we got to establish the rules. We got to be open and honest about the conversations of like how IATSE works and let's see how we can change the norm. And me being, I, I, I kid you not, I'm pretty sure I was the youngest person in that room. It was really cool to be like, oh man, I am at the time I was what? 22, 23 years old, and I'm being a part of these massive conversations of changing the organization. And not only that, our local was run by this amazing uh, sound engineer and designer, Amanda Sager. And to hear her stories of being not only you know, the first president of this, this local, but also a female president of this brand new local Um, and hearing her stories about her going to these conferences and, and telling us how different the room is now looking with all these new young local members and these new presidents that are young is, was, it was encouraging to know that like, oh, great, you know, we're changing the norms and we're changing the look now of how IATSE is, you know, it's not a whole bunch of, you know, old white guys sitting around a table seeing how they can improve the organization and, and the, the entertainment sector as a whole. Now we're seeing a huge diversity pool coming in, which is hella dope. And yeah. And motivational because now it's like, oh, cool. You know, my words and my recommendations of how to improve this local are being are being heard. And hopefully they'll reach the national level. And, you know, she was mentioning how she was a part of the organ- establishing organization of like the first LGBTQ plus I- uh, local like group that was established for IATSE. And um, to hear that is just really cool to know that. IATSE is willing to accept that change is a thing and they're willing to grow. Um, it's awesome. Uh, so it's really cool to, to be a part of that establishment for sure. That's awesome. You, you've, it really sounds like you get to be part of the, uh, the left coast progressive IATSE. That's not a, uh, it's not an IATSE that a lot of people are uh, accustomed to. Yeah. Oh man. Especially coming from like Oregon to Florida and like hearing, you know, like doing local, like, doing local 154 work over in, in Oregon. And I haven't even worked with the local here in Florida, but hearing 
from friends that are in management being like, oh, I don't like working with union members here in Florida and just being like, whoa, where is that coming from? Like, it's just like, it's because they have, they, they've, they're working with local members that are just, that come from a different experience and different history. Uh, so I think it, I, like, I, I think it starts from the top and it'll start trickling down finally. So who knows, maybe, maybe in the next couple of years, everyone's going to be like, hell yeah, Yahtzee, do everything. And the, I want to uh, join it and stuff. That would be exciting. The locals in Florida, I have to imagine are predominantly ballroom convention center oriented. I mean, they've yeah. got the mouse to compete with. And I, and I don't think they, I know they, they intermingle every once in a while, but I don't believe they, they get along all that, all that well, most of the time. Yeah. Again, I haven't really, I haven't really personally yeah. talked with the locals here in Florida. So I don't understand the, the structure of their organizations and how they work. But again, I just came from a very different environment over in That's Oregon cool. with local 154, which was great because now I know that locals can be that, you know, that's the standard for me now. So that's if cool. I, if I'm in an area that has a local and it's not up to that standard, I will feel comfortable being like, I don't want to be a part of this local and know that I'm doing it because there is a local that is awesome. Like that is like setting the standard and it's being a, a blaze, like a, a, a fire blaze. What's the term? Like a, a, like a, a trendsetter, I guess. Yeah, there it is. Like they're, they're being a trendsetter for the norms now that are occurring. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's hella dope. Uh, so one of the one of the terms you just used was youngest person in the room. And that used to be a nod to somebody's inexperience or like, hey, we're gonna haze the the youngest kid in the room. But now we've kind of flipped that on its head now, too. Like, oh, this is the guy coming in with fresh ideas. He's the one who's gonna help us put on this event that we have no clue how to do. So let's all follow the young guy. How does that feel for you? Like, how does it, how do you, how does it feel being brought into a, a thing in San Francisco based on your experience as the youngest one with the thought of as the least amount of experience? It's awesome. I'm going to be real. It's awesome. <laughs> like I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to be honest. There was a large part of my, my, my entertainment experience where I was treated as the young person and no one took me serious. So like you said, people thought because I'm new, I don't know anything. So they like, I guess you can say quote unquote mansplay the situation and then kind of tell me everything on how to do something like a certain task where it's like, I know, but being a young person in the room, it's hard to kind of confront those situations head on. You kind of just have to go with the wind, you know, kind of just go with it and such. So being able to now finally be in, in, in this this positional power where I can actually be respected as uh, a peer in the same level as any, everyone, but also to be like, Oh, this guy's bringing some cool ideas. Let's pick his brain on how to improve the end like, in this production is awesome because it just makes me feel like, Oh, cool. I am doing something that helped pivot the change in this industry in not just technology, but also the norm in where we're at in regards to ageism and just equality. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's that. And also the fact that I'm a person of color and uh, it's great to, it's, it's amazing to be a young Latinx uh, designer being in the room and being like, being basically like a, a, a model and a, and a mentor for these next, this next generation of young Latinx artists. And then seeing like, Oh man, this guy is young. He looks like me and he's making changes in the industry. It's possible. Like I can actually have potential in this industry and, and, and start spark that motivation. So yeah, it's cool. Um, it's, it, 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 there are moments where I feel like that, 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 that source of wealth that and of knowledge i mean that wealth of knowledge that i provide into a group can sometimes be not pushy as a term but uh abusive i guess you can say where <laughs> okay. um i'm the one that apparently knows everything so they will keep asking me things that even i might not know and uh it can be sometimes uh draining uh in the sense where it's like 
I really want to just have a fun experience and I don't want to be asked all these different questions that, um, you can literally look up on Google, you know, and it's just like, and, and I'm not trying to bash on anyone. It's just like, like you said, if, if you want to change with, with the way the industry is working and how technology is working, why don't you, why don't you also change with it? You know, don't just hire someone that is already invested in the change. Also be a part of it, be a part of those conversations to how to also improve as a, as an artist as well. So yeah, like it's really cool. cool. Yeah. It's really really cool. cool. That's how we bring fresh ideas into the industry. We, we have to put our egos aside and say, you know what? I don't know the answer. I don't know how to put this on Twitch or Mimo or OS OBS. I don't know. You got to bring somebody in and you have to listen. You got to bring in a Luis and you have to like, okay, I want to know how to do this because I want to stay relevant. These are the, these are the switches that we have to make. These are the transformations we have to be willing to accept. Yeah. And being able to accept that it's okay to get this knowledge from someone that is younger than you is the most important thing as well. And I think that definitely comes with that ego that you mentioned, putting it to the side. So yeah, you know, I'm, I've been super fortunate to work with these establishments that understand that. And now we're creating these really cool pieces that weren't something that you would normally, that aren't something you would normally see in an actual pre COVID times. So it's, it's awesome. This conversation reminds me of a, a YouTube viral video that went out a while ago where this older gentleman was interviewing a younger girl and she was on her phone during the entire interview. And his questions were like, well, what are you good at? And she's like, well, I'm really good at Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And the guy's like, well, I'm probably not going to hire you, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, but she's like, okay, then fine. And then now the idea was to make it so that to make millennials look bad because they were, that's all they were good at. But now I, I, I look back on that and I think that industry probably went out of business because they didn't have a very strong online presence or they probably didn't know how to switch to online presentations. And they probably weren't willing to listen to the young girl who only knew Instagram, because if you're not on Instagram, if you're not, doing digital presentations right now, you're falling behind, you know? Yeah. If your online presence is not overwhelming and impressive, you're falling behind right now. Big time, especially right now where we're at in this country in regards to entertainment. I It's, it's so interesting. Like everyone is, is shifting into this new medium and, there's even like different sectors that I would have never imagined making changes. Like for example, I just read an article where SAG is in talks about uh, giving SAG cards now to influencers on TikTok and Twitter and Facebook and stuff. So it's like, it's happening. Like, it's crazy to hear that these people that we once thought were like, oh yeah, I'm going to post on Instagram every single day. And I have a big following and people back then are like, oh wow, that person is just like, they're not famous. They're just, they're just promoting their life on the, in the, in the internet are now the ones that are going to be getting these cards to be professional actors and stuff. It's, it's insane. And I think it's great to know that we are now pivoting in that direction. I know it's not going to happen right away. It's going to take some time, but um, it's great to, to know that these conversations are actually happening now and people are now willing to take that risk to, to try something new that they are. That aren't is norm- great to. news that I, I hate to say it. I'm going to sound so liberal progressive, but those people need protection. They, they need to take, you know, they need to take a percentage of that obscene amount of income that they're making off of their influencer income streams and train others to do the same thing. I'm reluctantly to say that I support that, but I do. And it's, it's bonkers, man. I'm, it's I'm bonkers. like, whoa, I would have never imagined the word sag and influencers to ever be in a sentence. And now it's happened. And I'm like, okay, anything's possible now. Cool. <laughs> Hey man, if that, if I, I got nothing against anybody who's coming up with creative ways to make money. Yeah. If you taking a picture of your dog in a sweater every freaking day on Instagram makes you money, you do it. You yeah. go and you do it. 
And if anybody who's older than you is, is a hater, like, hey, you're just jealous because I found an easier way. Like, I, I didn't have to work on an assembly line for eight hours a day and, and, you know, bust my knuckles and get, you know, arthritis. You know, I found a better way to be creative. I found a way to increase my scope. I, I'll, take, I'll take a second of your time to kind of point out one of the best outcomes of this is I've seen for actors who nobody finds them marketable for one reason or another. They're like, yeah, you're not going to cut it. Next thing you know, they go home, they hire one or two people with a camera and a video editor and they do the stuff in their own living room. And next thing you know, they're the biggest freaking viral sensation ever. Yeah, and they're man. hilarious. And then all the casting directors are just smashing themselves in the forehead. They're like, I don't, I didn't see it. Dude. It's so funny. You mentioned that because so I've done a couple of virtual galas and fundraisers already. And the first one that we did for San Francisco, we worked with this art, um, this actor named David, uh, David Morales, super great guy. Uh, he's from the California area. I had no clue who he was until this fundraiser. And I'm pretty sure a lot of people didn't know who he was, but he's been on a small little, he's been on a couple of television shows. He's been in a couple of theater spaces and he's done a lot of theater in, in the Bay and also all throughout California. So I started following him obviously after that, uh, that gala and we became close friends and he has become TikTok famous because of all the videos that he's posting. And now he's getting all these offers to be on television, movies, video games. He was in a call of duty commercial that just came out like a couple of months ago. Like it's so crazy to know that anyone can, as long as you know, you have that, that energy and that and that and that characteristic of being outgoing and such and have access to a camera and all of that like it's possible now to actually be successful in this in this entertainment sector as a performer which is super cool to hear and nobody can put our finger on we don't know we don't know why you skateboarding drinking cranberry juice is so appealing to all of us but we love it yeah you have a tattoo of a feather on the back of your head and we want to see it and we want to hear Stevie Nicks sing along. And next thing you know, you're getting job offers to be on commercials and you're TikTok famous. That's there's no gatekeepers anymore. There's no, no. there's no casting directors that, you know, they, they're losing their power quickly. There's a reason why people like Martin Scorsese are nervous about the change in this industry and saying that like, streaming is not considered cinema you know and it's because people portray things in certain ways and once you get comfortable you think that's the norm and but in reality you know the norms change you know yeah. for you yeah. know, and it's you either accept it or you don't and there's no in between really which is unfortunate but it's 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 a different world now yeah, I, I feel bad for people that aren't embracing it. You, you yeah. really have to take a step back and look and see that, that yeah, live events are going to come back, but never they're never coming back the same. You know, yeah. this is not a pivot. This is not a, a shift. This is a full transfer transformation now. Yeah, and and it's it's so I'm so glad. It's unfortunate it's had to happen in this situation, but I I I, I spoke to this like in another conversation I had with a friend. Um, this change happened at a perfect time in the intersect of entertainment and media, because for a long time in the industry, and I'm talking in particular for theater projections were never really in the forefront of productions, you know, projections no, were either right. put, projections were either put for, with either the lighting designer or the sound designer. There wasn't really like a specific spot for projections. So, you know, we always got the short end of the stick, but now with the sudden change in the industry, there's a huge interest now in media and projections and live streaming and stuff. And it's just, it just goes to show that, this norm that the main core of production is just like lighting set costuming and um, sound is there's more to it. Now there's, there's now this element of projection that is now in the forefront and having that experience as a media designer and a projection designer is not something that has to be mixed with other, ex other, ex other expertises in, in the industry. So it's great to see that, 
we now have the light, we have the spotlight on us and it's really cool. And I'm excited to see now how, once we go in the space, how this mixed media and projections is now going to change the scope of what we see on stages in a live setting. So true. Very true. That is a, that's a, that's a huge transformation that is happening. So uh, we are almost out of time. One of the questions that I definitely wanted to leave with is being the youngest person in the room and you are constantly having to prove yourself when you get called into somebody, how do you convince somebody that you are prepared for the next step? Like how do you build that relationship to be so strong that they call you back? I think at the end of the day, it's me being 100% myself. You know, I don't, I don't half-ass anything or, or go above and beyond. I, I know my limits. And if I know there's a certain task when I'm working with someone for the first time that they're asking that I know I cannot handle, I will be upfront with them. I would rather be honest than lie about a certain task that I either don't like that I don't know. And then down the line, realize I can't handle it. And three, four weeks have gone by and we're close to tech and production that I am now... I have a bunch of people around me that are either upset or angry about something not being done on time and such. So that's my mentality when doing a production is just being real. You know, I think showing, basically giving them everything of who I am at the table in our first meeting and knowing and seeing if they're interested in hiring me, because at the end of the day, your work speaks for yourself. And if your work, if you're not proud of the work that you make, the people that will hire you in the future will notice that. And that is really the make or break in, in you growing as an artist is, is knowing that you just have to be very, you have to set to go into the room confident and, and by confident, I mean, just confident in knowing your limitations, not confident in the sense that like, I am confident about everything I do and everything that I make is perfect. It's just <laughs> confident in just knowing who you are when in regards to limitations uh, is, is really important, uh, especially for young artists that are um, just starting their career in the industry um, is to know that it's okay to say no. And it's okay to say that you don't feel comfortable in certain situations. That's good advice. Boy, if I could go back and tell my 25-year-old self how to make it in the industry, that's pr it's pretty close to what I would have to go back and say. I will be real. I'm still learning things about who I am as an artist every day. And like, if I could look at myself five years ago uh, then and who I am now, I wish I could have also told myself that because I think for a long time, my thought process was I was, I'm always the youngest person in the room. So I have to always give my, my 150% effort in everything that I do. And it wasn't until I was with my, like, you know, when I started dating my girlfriend, uh, who has been super supportive in my, in, in my, in my pursuit and growing as an artist, where I would go into, I would, I would come home and she'd be like, why are you so stressed out? Why are you angry? Like, why are you not happy? And it, it took me a long time for me to realize that it's because I am putting way more work than I should. And it's, it's now affecting me mentally and energy wise and, and physically that it's because I just, it's okay to give what you know your limits are and not mm -hmm. go above it because then it'll just start affecting you physically. So, um, yeah, it was a big, it was a big eye opener when I realized that it's okay to not put all like 150%. Like if you have good work and you're proud of it, that hundred percent will come off as 150%, 200% for those people around you. Good for you. That, that's a, that's a big re revelation, uh, realization at a young age. There's a lot of people in the generation ahead of me and even my generation, we didn't learn that. We, we all put in 150% until we burned out and then we, and then we went and fell out of the industry, you know, or, or we stayed in it. We were still burned out and yet we still stayed in it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Luis. This has been great. I really appreciate your, your fresh optimism and, uh, and you're willing to push things forward and expand the scope of our industry. 
Yeah. Thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate the time. And I appreciate that first message you sent me on my website. Because You uh, got it, man. Thanks for your yeah, time. That was awesome. 